Jesus understood this man to be a type who's going to go into the temple and not defile it with pig's blood, but he himself is going to claim to be God. And when you see that, Jesus said, all hell is going to break loose on the earth. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're continuing our study of the book of Daniel, and we're at the portion of Scripture in Daniel chapter 8, which reveals the coming Antichrist. As we pick up in verse 17, where Daniel is visited by the angel Gabriel, Dr. Brogy explains the significance of this particular angel. This Gabriel comes not to terrorize, but to teach, and so we read, But he said to me, Son of man, understand that the vision pertains to the time of the end. Don't miss that. God is telling Daniel through this messenger angel Gabriel that the vision pertains to the end, to the future, to the end of time. And we're going to see all the way until the time that Jesus comes again. Now, while he was talking with me, I sank into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand upright. He's overcome by the terror. Today we might say he fainted, he passed out. Well, you can't take in anything in that state. So the angel Gabriel touches him and he stands on his feet and he said, behold, I'm going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation. We call this future seven years that is coming the tribulation period and the midpoint where it gets really bad, the great tribulation to be technical. In the Old Testament, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble and it's called the indignation. God speaks of wrath and indignation that is going to come upon the world. It's gonna be the outpouring of his judgment on sin. Behold, I am going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And I want you to see three key repeated phrases here in verses 17 and 19, because they unlock the significance of this vision. In verse 17, he emphasizes that what he is about to say doesn't simply apply to this guy Antiochus Epiphanes, but it pertains to the time of the end. You see that? Look in verse 19. He, He tells us that it's going to occur at the final period of the indignation during the great tribulation when the Antichrist, this false Messiah, will come on the scene. And again in verse 19, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. And by the way, he'll use this phrase another time when we come to the 12th chapter in the 4th verse, where he speaks once again of the appointed time of the end. And it is clear, crystal clear from that text, that he's talking about that time when Messiah will come and raise the dead out of the graves. Now furthermore, as we're going to see in a moment, the career of this little horn, described in verses 23 through 25, perfectly fits the career of the coming Antichrist. But the point I want you to see this morning is that the angel Gabriel, as the Lord Jesus will do, is going to paint Antiochus Epiphanes as a type, as an illustration of this coming world ruler. He is, in essence, the Antichrist of the Old Testament. He foreshadows what is still ahead of us. Now, as this slide shows, many times in the Old Testament, there is what we call a near and a far fulfillment. 
a near fulfillment that could happen in months or maybe in a hundred years, and then a far fulfillment way out there in the future. A lot of you know Isaiah 7:14. Behold, a virgin is going to conceive and bear a child, and it's near fulfillment as it applied to Ahaz, but it's future fulfillment down the corridors of time. The law of what we call double fulfillment. And again, you see illustrations of this. You see Abraham, as I mentioned, up there on top of Mount Moriah, offering his son who willfully lays down his life and doesn't get off that altar, and he's ready to plunge the knife through his chest. And it is a picture of Golgotha because the Lord Jesus dies on the same mount, Mount Moriah, and he dies there willingly laying down his life. This is the law of double fulfillment at work again, but as it concerns the coming Antichrist. Now, that brings us to the interpretation during the vision. The interpretation during the vision, and it begins very quickly with the interruption, uh, the interpretation of the rambunctious ram. The interpretation of the rambunctious ram. We read here in verse 20, the ram which you saw with two horns represents the kings of Media and Persia. That's the rebunctious ram we just studied. That's the Medio-Persian Empire. But he doesn't want to linger here. He wants to get to the significance of where he's heading and it concerns Antiochus Epiphanes as a type. And so then we read in verse 21 and 22 the interpretation of the galloping goat. The shaggy goat represents the kingdom of Greece, and the large horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That's Alexander. The broken horn and the four horns that arose in its place represent four kingdoms which will arise from his nation, although not with his power. And so we've seen that, and we've seen how uh, Alexander comes and he's immediately extinguished at the height of his career and four generals come in and take over and from one of those four divisions comes this little horn and that brings Gabriel to where he wants to focus the interpretation of the horrible horn. When he gives this interpretation, he spends the bulk of his time here because of its significance as it relates to the appointed time of the end. Yes, it refers to Antiochus Epiphanes IV, but to much more than Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And this king in that day had four characteristics that will perfectly mimic this coming king, uh, this coming world leader that we call the Antichrist. Four characteristics are highlighted about this coming leader's life. First, the Antichrist will have a hellish ministry. We read here in verses 23 and 24, in the latter period of their rule, when the transgressors have run their course, a king will arise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. So a king is going to arise in the latter period of their rule, the end of time. And again, the immediate context relates it to these four kingdoms and the four divisions and this small horn or little horn that comes out of the Seleucid dynasty that pictures this coming Antichrist. And we're told he will come when the transgressors have run their course. Again, after the Babylonian exile, the Jewish people come back into the land. They do not repent of their sin. They continue in their sin. And it gets progressively worse. And because they don't repent, God uses a pagan king to judge them. 
Very often in the scriptures, he will refer to some hardcore pagans as his instruments. He will use pagan kings to judge the people of God because of their indifference towards things that they shouldn't be indifferent to. And then God extinguishes them. And God doesn't answer their prayers. Why? Because they're lukewarm. And some of you this morning, you're lukewarm. Remember, the church at the end of the age will be a lukewarm church, Jesus said. It will not be a church that will be passionate and on fire for Christ. I was just received last night a, a blog from someone, and they said, it's rather unusual, the seminary I go to. On Sunday morning, there are hundreds of cars in student housing, and none of them leave to go to church. A lukewarm church at the end of the age. Some of you, if you had something more important like a golf game or a time out on the river or a vacation to start, you wouldn't be here because you build your schedule around what's convenient for you. That's the lukewarm stage. And so when the iniquity have run their course, come to the full, reach their full limit depending on your translation, then God brings his indignation. The dam of God's mercy will break. It broke in the day of Antiochus Epiphanes, and it's going to break again when the Antichrist comes. And this world is going to experience wrath like they have never seen. This king is insolent. Uh, uh, he is also described as, a, as having a fierce countenance. Uh, verse 23 says he's skilled in intrigue. The New King James says that he understands sinister schemes. He has a fierce countenance. And this word for intrigue is a Hebrew word for riddles. He, he, he has the ability to take naughty problems that no one can solve and to solve them. He understands literally, the text says, dark sentences. How can he do that? Because he has a power that's not his own. He's tapped into the occult. Look, there are law enforcement agencies in our country that will go to psychics to help them to solve murders, and they solve the murders. How is that? Because some murders are inspired by the devil himself. Look, there's a lot that people do that has nothing to do with the devil. It just comes from their fallen Adamic nature where they're carried away in their own lusts, as James says, and they do evil. But there are some people who've given themselves to the evil one. And if you're into the occult and you're communicating with the demonic world and you know that the thief who comes to kill and to destroy and to steal used one of his demons to pull off a murder, sometimes you can tell law enforcement who that person is. Why would you want to do that? So that people will be intrigued by the occult, that people will be awed by power. Look, all power is not good power. There's evil power as well as holy power that is at work. And so here's this man who's basically demon-inspired. Verse 24 uh, amplifies on his hellish power. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. But remember, the angel Gabriel tells him that this vision doesn't pertain just to Antiochus, but to the time of the end. And remember, the Bible says in Matthew 24, 12, lawlessness will be increased at the end of time. Things won't get better. Things will get worse. Hell will have a holiday on the earth. More and more people will give themselves over to the lusts and the pleasures of the flesh. And the mystery of lawlessness that Paul speaks of will run its course. And that will create an atmosphere 
for the Antichrist to come onto the scene. In Revelation 13, verse 2, we're, set, we're told of this one. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. We studied those three images. And the dragon, that's the devil, gave him, this beast, the Antichrist, his power and his throne and great authority. Paul said it in these words in 2 Thessalonians 2.9, that the Antichrist, he is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. So Antiochus is a type, an illustration for a man who is a coming at the time of the end. He will have a hellish ministry. He'll have a hateful ministry. Look now at verse 24. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power, and he will destroy to an extraordinary degree and prosper and perform his will. He will destroy mighty men and the holy people. There is no doubt that Antiochus Epiphanes had this kind of hateful rule. You can read about it in a non-inspired book called the Book of Maccabees. Between the last prophet, Malachi, and the first writing in the New Testament, Matthew, there's a 400-year period. It's not a silent period because, as we will see, Daniel writes about it before it happens. But there's no prophet in Israel. But there are people who are recording history during that time. And there are a couple of books, for instance, called First and Second Maccabees. They're in the Catholic Bible. They're not in our Protestant Bibles. Why? Because they do not meet the tests of inspiration. In the first edition of the King James, all of the intertestament books were there. Not because they believed they were inspired, but they put them there in the 1611 translation because they thought it would be good history for people to read that would shed light on what happened during these 400 years. But when the Catholics claimed them to be inspired, they took them out of their Bible immediately. But in the book of 1 Maccabees, it describes Antiochus and his hateful ministry. For instance, one mother had two sons. She was deeply committed to the Lord, and she recognized that she needed to have both of them uh, circumcised. And after the circumcision was done, she, Antiochus took those two boys, hung them around the mother's neck after he had slaughtered them, made her walk through the city, and then threw her over the city wall where she was smushed. Another mother had seven sons that were godly men who loved the living God. And Antiochus, because he had a disdain for those who loved the Lord, had them literally fried to death with a flat iron. He had a hateful ministry. And of course, so will the coming Antichrist. What will be his modus operandi. Well, Revelation 20, verse 4, and I saw the souls of those who've been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image. Heads cut off. Same vicious, hateful kind of thing. You know, people used to laugh at this 30 years ago and they said, that is so antiquated. No one would ever do that. Look, we're seeing the spirit of Antichrist at work in our day. He has a hellish ministry, but he also has a haughty ministry. Verse 25, and through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. And he will magnify himself in his heart and he will destroy many while they are at ease. The Antichrist peace plan is going to deceive the world. And he will even oppose the prince of princes. 
but he will be broken without human agency. Now stop there. Just like Antiochus, who is known for his shrewdness and his deceit, who magnified himself in his heart with his braggadocious words, so will be this coming big mouth. We're told in Revelation 13, and there was given to him, the Antichrist, a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle that is in heaven. Paul said he is the one who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God of worship. And he takes his seat in the temple of God, making himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation. When we come to the 11th chapter, we're going to see Antiochus do this very thing by type. And Jesus is going to reference this experience as a coming future superman of sorts by the devil. And Jesus will say, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, Antiochus going into the temple and taking a pig, even so, there's a coming man. Because Jesus understood this man to be a type who's going to go into the temple and not defile it with pig's blood, but he himself is going to claim to be God. And when you see that, Jesus said, all hell is going to break loose on the earth. This false Messiah with his false peace will destroy many while they are at ease, the text says. Finally, he has a humbled ministry. This man who is so awful, who is coming upon the earth, he is a hundred thousand times worse than Antiochus Epiphanes, but he will be humbled. Verse 25, he will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agency. He will be broken not by the hands of man, but by the hand of God, because Paul said, the Lord will slay the Antichrist with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. Revelation says, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image. These two were thrown into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. That's exactly what Daniel describes as going to happen, and that's exactly what the Revelation says. And so verse 26 says, the vision of the evenings and mornings which has been told is true. Do you believe it's true? I hope you do. It's a picture of what is going to come. He is in essence saying, he who has ears to hear, listen carefully. Gabriel adds, but keep the vision secret for it pertains to many days in the future. And that's why I'm preaching it today because I believe those days are coming upon us. Now look, God fulfilled everything Daniel wrote right down to the letter. And if he fulfilled everything right down to the letter one time, I can tell you he's going to do it all over again. Notice Daniel's response. Then I, Daniel, was exhausted and sick for days, and I got up again and carried on the king's business. But I was astounded at the vision, and there was none to explain it. Oh, he, he got some explanation from Gabriel, but there are so many more questions he had, but no one could tell him. Now, how should we respond? Let me make some applications as we finish. Number one, based on the context of when these events are yet to take place, I recognize I don't have to fear future events. As a believer, I don't have to fear future events. I spoke with a man who came to our church recently, and he said, Pastor, I... 
I don't think I'm coming back. I said, is there a problem? He said, you really bother me with all this talk about the Antichrist and hell, and it, it makes me scared. I said, well, it should if you don't know Christ is your Savior. You ought to be scared to death. Because the time that is going to come, and it may happen in our lifetimes, is the worst time this world has ever known. Matthew 24, 22, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Look, if, if you're banking on becoming a Christian, if you're here listening today and you're not saved, you don't know you're saved, you hope you go to heaven, you think you might, but you don't know, I can tell you, you won't if you die. If Christ comes back in the next 10 seconds, nothing has ever needed to be fulfilled for the rapture to take place. That's why the New Testament always speaks of the imminent return of Christ, that it's the final hour, it could come at any second. But there's all kinds of prophecy for the second coming that needs to take place. But as God is fulfilling prophecy for the second coming, you know the rapture that precedes that event is all that much closer. But if you're counting on becoming a believer after the church is raptured, I can tell you on the authority of the Word of God, you won't. Because 2 Thessalonians 2 said, because they did not receive the love of the truth so to be saved, they will believe what is false. If you've heard the gospel, and everyone in this room has, with clarity and power, and the rapture takes place, the Bible teaches you will not be saved. The only people saved during the time of the Great Tribulation are people who have never heard the gospel in clarity and power before. And so it will be too late for you. But if you are saved, you don't need to fear. It doesn't mean you won't have hard times. There are some hard times, I believe, that are ahead for the body of Christ. But you don't have to shiver in your boots because you won't be here for the coming tribulation period because you will have either have died or been raptured. Do you remember what Jesus said in Revelation 3? And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus. No one else qualifies for that but him. Verse 8, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Oh, by God's grace, thank God we have at least a little power as a church. We have a little power. We've kept his word. We've not denied his name. Now look at verse 10 in that chapter. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. We're going to study this in detail when we come to the revelation. But God made a promise to the church at Philadelphia because they were genuine, real, living, blood-bought, born-again people that they would not be here for the hour of testing that would come upon the whole world. Listen, there's never ever in the history of man been an hour of testing that has come on all of the planet at once. But there's coming a day for there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of town until now and never shall again, Jesus said. But then he says to this church, he who has an ear, let him hear, what he says to the churches. Please note, this is not what God has said. This is what God is saying. This is not what God said simply to the church at Philadelphia. 
This is what God is saying to the churches, plural, to Community Bible Church and others. You won't be here for that time. Thank God. Finally, I think by application, we ought to share the way of salvation with others. I want to tell you, my friend, just because I have found personal peace and forgiveness and my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life and the Spirit has flooded my heart and borne witness to me that I've become a child of God, I can't do nothing. I must warn people. There's a lot of Christians who are doing important things, but they're not relating those things to eternity. Look, we need to warn people that there's coming a day of judgment, and it's far worse than the coming great tribulation, because the great tribulation will unfold into an eternal hell of wrath that will never, ever end. And if you're not a believer today, and the church is raptured, it will be forever too late. You think, oh, that won't happen. It's going to happen one of these days. And it will be forever too late for you. And you will have no excuses before the living God because there's a pastor here in Beaufort, South Carolina, who is warning you today what the Scripture says. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be forever too late. Our Father, what a privilege it is that you would deem us ambassadors for Christ, that we can point men and women and boys and girls to a Savior who has died, who can provide forgiveness and a right relationship with yourself. I pray today, Father, for somebody here who's listening to my voice. Maybe they're in Bluffton, maybe they're in Graniteville or streaming somewhere around the world. Father, thank you for our internet and the many countries every week that listen. I pray today for someone who's unsure of heaven, and I pray that today that they would call upon the name of Jesus to be saved. For you said, whosoever will may come, whoever will call upon his name will be saved. Would you recognize that he is Lord? He is the one who bore all of your wrath that you might have forgiveness. Why wait another moment? Why not say in simple childlike faith, Lord Jesus, save me. And because you have saved me by your death and resurrection, I will openly confess you before men and spend the rest of my life in gratitude living for you. Now, Father, Jesus, you said, is the spirit of prophecy. And you've given us prophecy not just to fill our heads, but to shape us into the image of your Son. So help us to heed what you wrote centuries before by your prophet Daniel. We thank you that we have the most amazing book in the world written by you. We pray that we would heed its words today and that you would use us in this week to live for Jesus, to enjoy his presence, and to tell people the good news. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. To listen again to today's message, Antiochus and the Antichrist, Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program DAN11. 
Tomorrow, Dr. Brogy continues his study of Daniel and goes to chapter 9, a chapter that could well be described as the summit of prophecy. Join us then for a message entitled, The Prayer of Daniel. That's tomorrow as we search the scriptures.